0: Advent On Air, the science of type 2 inflammation on the go. Welcome to Advent On Air, a podcast featuring conversations between leading experts on the science of type 2 inflammation. Today's episode features a conversation between esteemed dermatologist Dr. Lisa Swanson and renowned allergist Dr. Whaley Song who will explore the journey to diagnosis for paediatric patients with atopic dermatitis, or AD. The speakers are being compensated by Sanofi and Regeneron in connection with this program.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Lisa Swanson. I'm a dermatologist and pediatric dermatologist in Boise, Idaho. I work in private practice at Ada West Dermatology and I'm also affiliated with St. Luke's Children's Hospital.
2: Hi, I'm Whaley Song. Um, I'm an allergist and immunologist. I'm in private practice with Allervie Health. Um, My current position here is I'm Chief Research Innovation Officer and I'm based in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome to our podcast um, on uh, atopic dermatitis. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So Dr. Swanson, uh, when a patient comes into the clinic um, and you suspect atopic dermatitis, what steps do you take to reach a diagnosis you can be confident in?
1: The first thing to tackle whenever you're encountering a patient with a rash, figure out the diagnosis. And there are all sorts of fancy criteria, diagnostic criteria for the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis. I think we've all heard of the Hannafin-Reica criteria, which is the most commonly used in things like studies. But really in the clinic, it boils down to three main features. You have an itchy rash, it appears eczematous in its pattern and appearance, and it has a chronic or relapsing history. And so those are kind of the three biggies that you wanna kind of say, check, check, check. And then other things that help, if it was an early age of onset, that's pretty consistent with atopic dermatitis. And if there's a history of at- atopy in either the patient in the form of asthma, food allergy, nasal rhinitis, et cetera, or a family history of atopy, that would definitely build a case towards atopic dermatitis. Um, I will say that you know sometimes reaching the diagnosis can be be challenging. In your opinion, Dr. Song, what do healthcare providers really need to focus on
2: Yes, I completely agree with your assessment that um, every atopic dermatitis patient is different. And that's one of the reasons why the disease is very heterogeneous. Uh, The criteria for diagnosis uh, of atopic dermatitis only really serves as kind of a guidance for this because we see, you know, atopic dermatitis, for example, develop um, in adults. And and so you don't necessarily have to have an early onset in age of atopic dermatitis. It is a clinical diagnosis. So you look at the symptoms and the signs of atopic dermatitis and you look at their their lesions and other uh, quality of life disturbances. Um, and then you also see how they respond to treatment. And the way I tend to approach atopic dermatitis is that I start looking at the rash and I start trying to classify the rash. Is it an inflammatory type of rash? In this category, you're looking at potentially atopic dermatitis, psoriasis, contact dermatitis, chronic urticaria, uh, seborrheic dermatitis or could this rash be more of an infectious type of rash? Uh, So you're looking at fungal infection or tinea, folliculitis, Um, could it be scabies or insects um, that's causing it? Could it be a yeast infection? Or could the rash be some sort of more of an irritant type of rash, like dry skin, um, a heat rash, keratosis polaris? What I do next is just see if it responds to steroid creams. And I start with a low to mid-potency steroid creams and to see if it responds to that Um, and then in adolescence especially with the more popular lesions atopic dermatitis could be more um, misdiagnosed and people might think it's more urticaria or contact dermatitis Um, what have you seen uh, kind of in babies dr swanson
1: well, you know, in babies, I think the most common thing I see is a pretty typical distribution of their dermatitic rash. You know, I see a lot of babies that have really prominent cheek involvement, chin involvement, and then scattered elsewhere tends to favor arms and legs as well. I see some pretty significant atopic dermatitis on the scalp in babies. I think one of the biggest differential diagnosis Uh, to consider in a baby population would be scabies because of course that's very itchy too. And part of a scabies rash can even appear a little bit dermatitic. But of course scabies to your point would not respond to topical steroids. And another clue to a scabies diagnosis is Often at first, the itch is out of proportion to what you're seeing visibly on the skin, and so that can be a clue too. Whereas usually with atopic dermatitis, you're seeing a hefty rash, you're seeing you know pretty significant itching. I think in the older kids, kids and teens, the biggest uh, misdiagnosis is probably differentiating between psoriasis and eczema. And sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes kids will even have what we call eczema-psoriasis overlap, where in one area of the body, it really looks like eczema. And in another area of the body, it really looks like psoriasis. And you're like, which one is it? And how are these two things happening together? Because atopic dermatitis is TH2 mediated and psoriasis is TH1 mediated. How are these inflammatory things occurring at the same time? But it happens.
2: Yeah. When I uh, teach the allergy fellows and some of them are very intimidated by looking at skin and and all they see is just, oh my gosh, this is a red, bumpy, uh, lichenified rash. And, And where, what how should I treat this or how should I approach this? And I'm glad you broke it down.
1: You know, one interesting that I encounter a lot in my pediatric patients and their parents is they are always wondering about food. Um, is, this, is this being caused by a food? What do I need to eliminate from my child's diet? Um, what are your perspectives on that as an allergist?
2: I think if you ask um, different allergists and different dermatologists, you'll kind of start getting different opinions. Um, But historically, there's been some papers that suggest that under age two, certain foods like milk, eggs, and peanut can exacerbate the atopic dermatitis. Now, it is definitely uh, not known if foods are causing atopic dermatitis. We do think that there may be some uh, early sensitization through the skin that could worsen food allergies. And we also do know that having uh, moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, especially under age one, can be um, a major risk factor.
1: And I think you guys as allergists, you really um, play a pivotal role in sorting this out for us because as a dermatologist, You know, I hear the food question and, you know, I kind of get a little bit nervous um, and I don't want families just haphazardly um, avoiding foods. We know that leads to increased risk of food allergy. You know, the point I make to these families is if you have any questions about a potential food allergy, Please go see an allergist in the area. They'll evaluate. They'll do the proper testing. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about determining the severity of atopic dermatitis. Understanding how severe a patient's AD um, is is very important to assess your next steps related to patient care. How do you make the clinical assessment of moderate to severe atopic dermatitis as opposed to mild atopic dermatitis?
2: Yeah. So. As we talked about, um, atopic dermatitis is really just a clinical diagnosis. Um, You're looking at uh, the signs and symptoms. Uh, You're also then looking at the response to treatment. So because it was such a clinical uh, diagnosis, historically in the past, um, there have been very, very few clinical assessments that existed. That was probably one of the um, barriers for developing new therapies is that we had a hard time defining what atopic dermatitis is. How do we define a mild atopic dermatitis versus a severe atopic dermatitis? And so, if you have a hard time defining it, then you have a hard time creating these endpoints for these uh, studies. But as these new treatments uh, for atopic dermatitis started to enter the market they started creating these new assessment tools uh, to determine severity um, and to determine response to treatment. One of the good things uh, that has happened recently is that there is a very good uh, guideline. um, um, And the guidelines are based off of um, step therapy, uh, very similar to what we see in asthma, uh, that you can start with... uh, step one step two step three step four and in each step increases the potency of the topical steroids and also other um, um, creams that are used now in atopic dermatitis and then also uh, it also now covers in the guidelines um, the use of biologics and other um, molecules for um, treatment of severe atopic dermatitis Um, on the Physician level, on a clinical level, um, there's a lack of consensus on which is the best uh, validated scoring system to use. Most uh, clinicians basically use a version of uh, what we call the IGA, Global Assessment of Atopic Dermatitis. It's basically, are you clear, almost clear, mild, moderate, and severe? And I think most clinicians uh, use the IgA because that's how they describe um, a patient's atopic dermatitis. There's some other scoring systems like the Easy and the SCORAD and that are much more detailed and they require some calculations.
1: The other thing I'd like to throw out there is that I think the severity of atopic dermatitis, it's more than just what it looks like. It's more than just the body surface area affected. It's how long has it been going on? What impact is it having on the patient experiencing it? How is it disrupting their life, their school, their relationships, their general health? Um, And so there's looking at the patient and getting a good sense for that, but there's also asking the patient, hey, how are you doing? How are you sleeping? How is this affecting you? What do you do for fun? Are you able to play sports? Do you go to sleepovers? You know, are you living your best life or is eczema holding you back because that certainly elevates the severity of eczema. If I'm talking to my patient about those things and it's having those impacts on them,
2: um, you're absolutely right. It's not only um, the signs and the symptoms and the psychological impact, but it's also the number of flares. And flares are an important part. So it's just not your just daily lesions and your daily quality of life, but when it does exacerbate and get really bad, how bad does it get? So Dr. Swanson, uh, misdiagnosis and delayed treatment can negatively impact not only the child's physical health, but also psychological health. Can you talk a bit about what delayed diagnosis and effective treatment uh, might mean for the patients and their families?
1: I want to help them as soon as I possibly can, because the longer they're out there suffering, the longer they're getting exposed to potential triggers, the longer they're dealing with anxiety, depression, isolation, even maybe being bullied uh, as a result of their atopic dermatitis. They're being stigmatized because of the clinical features of atopic dermatitis. What do you think, Dr. Song, knowing what you know about immunology, what impact can early intervention have on disease trajectories? Do you think we can impact things by by getting to these kids early?
0: Uh,
2: we definitely can. Uh, we know that the immune system is very plastic at a very young age. So between zero and six years old, the immune system is changing very rapidly because the immune system is learning uh, what's good, what's bad, what should I react to. And we know that atopic dermatitis, especially um, at a very early age, like in infants, um, is a inflammatory disease. And that systemic inflammatory disease can cause Other diseases and other parts of the bodies. And we've talked about how um, atopic dermatitis is the number one risk factor for allergic asthma, allergic rhinitis. And so there's a lot of thoughts that say, hey, if we can intervene early with the atopic dermatitis and especially in that crucial period between zero and two years old that we may be able to prevent these other core morbidities that we may be able to change the disease trajectory and could we be preventing uh, the progression of allergic asthma could we be preventing uh, the progression of uh, allergic rhinitis.
1: So interesting it'll be so neat to see what happens with time as you know these treatments get better and better? We intervene earlier and earlier. What can we prevent? It's really an exciting time.
2: This is exciting. And what can we as physicians do to prevent misdiagnosis or delayed diagnosis and treatment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the key message here is we got to work together, you know, pediatricians, some of them have had a lot of dermatology experience, they feel confident managing atopic dermatitis, at least to begin with, and that's wonderful. But then other pediatricians and primary care providers just don't have that level of comfort go ahead and refer those kids to to dermatologists, pediatric dermatologists, allergists. Let us help get them the treatment that they need and let us help treat them early so that we can prevent hopefully some of these comorbidities and just all the quality of life impacts that ongoing disease uh, can cause. Um, as a dermatologist, I work really closely with the allergists in my area because I let them tackle the food allergy questions, and so I look to them as a major resource um, to help me deal with that and educate our patients and their families about what allergies might exist, what they actually need to avoid, so that they're not avoiding things unnecessarily.
2: I agree wholeheartedly because I love working with our area dermatologists and uh, because it's just They give me a different perspective on looking at the skin, making sure I'm not missing anything. And and like you mentioned, as allergists, we often get consulted about um, early introduction for uh, peanuts uh, to prevent peanut uh, allergies. We also get, have the time to answer all those questions about triggers and foods, and uh, we also start dealing with the comorbidities that we see in atopic dermatitis. Uh, we deal with the allergic rhinitis, the allergic asthma. Uh, we're now seeing more uh, um, eosinophilic esophagitis. Um, so it's been amazing in our community in Birmingham, the collaboration between pediatricians, allergists, and
0: dermatologists.
1: Yes, it's so important.
0: Thank you to our esteemed guests, Lisa Swanson and Whaley Song, for your valuable insights on the diagnosis and assessment of pediatric AD, determining AD severity, and the impact of delayed diagnosis on a patient's physical and psychological health. Thank you for listening to Advent On Air, providing the science of type 2 inflammation on the go. If you learned something from this, Leave a review and subscribe to Advent On Air to hear new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and adventprogram.com.